Today, we are in 1 John chapter 3, verses 4 through 10, is where we want to go, Lord willing, about seven verses. As, you, as we go into this together and we let the Holy Spirit speak, there is a theme that just kept coming up in our studies, and it is this theme that we'll find reverberating through these seven verses, and that is, as we practice the perfect, the perfect becomes the practice. Now, we'll look at this for a little bit. As we practice the perfect, the perfect becomes the practice. Practice makes perfect. But as we practice, slowly out of this comes this great work of God that begins to work in amazing ways in our life, and the perfect becomes the practice. Got a couple hard verses here that we'll look at, but I think Hopefully, God can just lead us together through these verses, and we'll be blessed together as we keep looking at this. Beginning in verse 4, everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. You're going to notice five times the word practice comes up within the text that we're considering today. You know that he, Jesus, appeared in order to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. No one, hard, one of the hard ones to start, no one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has seen him or knows him. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. No one who is born of God practices sin. Another hard verse. Because his seed abides in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. You'll notice, as we have noticed different times in the study of, of John, that even though John often was considered the merciful and loving apostle, the disciple whom Jesus loved, he also, in presenting the gospel, even in the in the gospel and in the epistle, he's very definitive on what truth is. He draws a very sharp and clear line that we'll see within the text this morning that this is truth and this isn't. This is, it's either black or white. John takes you out of the gray in many ways and lets you see the, the, the light of the word in light of the truth of the word, and there it is, we find truth. As we look at this and enter into this fourth verse, notice how, how deeply sin goes. Everyone, how far-reaching it is, everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, for sin is lawlessness. And I believe we can look at this, and what John is saying is sin is like this great snowball effect. It starts, but you'll move toward lawlessness. Really often, even sin will, will cause us to move toward rebellion. And I believe Samuel even exhorted one time that rebellion was like the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness like iniquity and idolatry. 
But in verse 5, we see the, the solution to sin in Jesus. You know that he appeared in order to take away our sins. This is the purpose of Jesus' appearance. He came to take away our sins, and in him, Jesus, there is no sin. And so we're looking at everyone or whoever, but here is Jesus, sinless completely, but also not only was he the sinless one, he was the one who came to take away our sins. And then we stop and we look and we'll, we'll stop there for just a moment because I want us to consider it somewhat like this. A common term today in our culture is the elephant in the room. You can be in a business meeting and what is the elephant in the room? In the Christian's life, the elephant in the room is sin. It is that lurking, lurking part of that surrounds us, that can, that wants to work and defile and destroy in so many ways. We know the originator of sin did not come from Jesus Christ, but it is so real. And many times as a Christian, we reach that point of saying, you know, it would just be nice to forget about sin and just think about righteousness. But look at John. He keeps bringing us back here. I want us to see the elephant in the room because it's real. It's what we deal with as Christians. It's very, very real. You may have heard the story about the little guy that went to church and his parents stayed home. And when he came home, the parents asked this little guy, well, what did the preacher speak of that today? And the guy needed an answer and he said, well, he spoke about sin. And the parents said, well, what did he say about sin? And he stopped for a little bit, and he said, I, he said he was against it. <laughs> well, this is what the Word of God teaches again and again. It's, it's always the elephant in the room. Sometimes it's the elephant in the room. This week, we had a contractor out by our fence, and we were walking along the fence, and I had just recently treated for insects, and I thought it's okay, and all of a sudden, that contractor said, ouch, ouch, and he had cut shorts on, and I looked down, and there was those little tiny red ants that you almost miss. That's sin, too. Sin bites. It hurts. Really, it, it destroys, and John here is speaking about these extremes, the elephant, the ant, but the presence of sin is what John is speaking about as he's writing here. And notice how far-reaching again it is, but I want us to get this thing. When we practice the perfect, the perfect becomes the practice. When the perfect is in our heart, and at first that might seem kind of like a philosophical term, I hope we can flesh that out the further we look in the Word this morning, the perfect will become the practice. And that which seemed maybe difficult becomes much more natural in the Spirit. God begins to give us the strength to live according to his will in, in amazing ways. And, but notice in the first verse how strong it is. The result of sin in verse 4 is, is lawlessness. It's just like, it just keeps moving down further and further. It takes people further and further from God. And sin is this, this elephant. It's this ant. It's this unseen presence that's felt. It comes in so many temptations, so many packages. 
You could, say, you could stand up here for the rest of the message and try to list all the packages of sin, and you'll miss one of the packages. But as we go into the sixth verse, you might have noticed I made a little co comment there. This is one of the hard ones. John says, no one who abides in him sins. No one. No one who sins has seen him or known him. Notice with me that John is speaking of both not sinning and sinning. He is saying no one who abides in him sins. Now I believe when you look in the word of God, we will find this is not speaking of sinless perfection. What we have to do when we come to difficult passages in the word of God, there's just this little discipline that I try to do personally, and that is first off, what does the, the pure text of the word say where I'm at? Right where I'm at. So let's look at this together. The text, that's what I'm reading. No one, notice the condition, who abides in him sins. There's this sense that when sin comes, we've made a choice. It might have been inadvertent. It might have been just almost unconscientious. But the word of God says no one who abides in him sins. So what is the condition? Abiding in the Lord. One of the great themes of 1 John is abiding in Jesus. You'll find this in chapter after chapter, place after place, which is just continue with Jesus. Just keep living for Jesus. And really, in light of what we're speaking about this morning, keep practicing the perfect. Jesus' heart, Jesus' desire, what would Jesus do? And here John says, though, as we look at this, no one who abides in him sins. Another area we must go in the word of God in looking at any text in which we begin to wonder is go beyond the text to the context. That's the passage that surround the text. Step back. God, what have I been reading that has been leading up to the text? Help me understand the context of the flow of the word of God. And then even look and come, go beyond and say, what is the context teaching beyond the particular text that I'm leaning with right now? Okay, so right here I am at this verse. No one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has seen him or known him. And here we say, hold it though. Haven't we stumbled? Haven't we faltered? Haven't we came back to Jesus as God's children and said, Lord, I failed you again. I came short of your glory. But let's look at this together and just flip back in your Bibles if you have your Bible with you this morning in 1 John 1 and 8. And John so clearly within the broader context defines this truth when he says, if we say we have no sin... We are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So John is simply saying that this elephant, this ant, this presence is going to lie at the door, and we are going to deal with it our entire life. But John is speaking of something you're going to keep seeing, and the next questionable verse that we're going to look at will define this more, and that is a practice, a pattern a habit, a behavioral, a lifestyle that envelops the human soul. And what we're looking at today is 
We want a lifestyle that says, Lord, I want to practice the perfect so that the perfect becomes the practice. I almost don't have to think about it anymore. I just don't want to go there. I don't want to be that person. I, I don't want to say that again. I don't, by your grace, want to think that again because that is the elephant in the room. And here comes lawlessness that the word of God speaks about here as we look at this together. And sin's result that we see right here is lawlessness. It's, it's just a rebellion against God. In some ways, when we sin, we... Well, here, I just jotted this down. When I choose to sin, I choose not to walk with Jesus. That's simple. That's kind of basic uh, 101 Christianity. Where he walked, what he did. I choose selfishness rather than Christ-likeness when I choose to sin. The word teaches it is not I but Christ. But when I choose to sin even at those moments, for a moment, I choose that it is not Christ but I. We have, heard, we have heard that choosing to sin is like a slap in the face to God or a knife in his heart or a nail to his cross. And sin does slay and it, it kills and destroys. But here John is speaking of this negative and positive that runs side by side because it is so fitting in our society. And really, in many ways, it's so fitting in our flesh. Paul would say in Romans that in his flesh, dwells no good thing, absolutely none. There's a verse in Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, I would look, like you to look at me, look with me at up on the screen. Romans 6, verses 1 through 4. Paul has just given, given a great declaration of the grace of God, the power of God, the redemption of God, the position of the believer, who you are in Christ, and then all of a sudden he puts on brakes. And he says, hold it, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin? Maybe we can inject for a moment there. Are we to continue practicing in sin so that grace may abound? May it never be, declares the apostle. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism unto death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, even so we might walk in newness of life. Now, one of the great studies of Romans 6, it can be kind of complicated, but you will see these words like should and we might walk. We can choose, we can affirm, Lord, I am your child and because of this, you have given me the power, and we'll see this in a moment, to choose righteousness over sin. And Paul may have been presupposing through the Spirit what people think as they begin to grasp grace. If grace delivers me from sin, if grace frees me from sin, which it does, if grace puts me in a position with Christ, which it does, it doesn't matter what I do. And Paul calls that out clearly in the Word of God. John's calling it out here too. It does matter what we do. It matters in many ways because what happens is here is the elephant. Here is the, here is the ant. Here's the eater, the biter, the devourer, the destroyer. 
And John uh, and Paul is simply going on and speaking about believe it to a truth in your heart. A lot of the practicing of the perfect starts with the thought of the human mind. It doesn't start with just saying, well, I'm going to go out and do one good thing today. It is, it's this battle to believe. I'm going to choose God. I will choose his way, his righteousness, his truth. I will choose his love over my imperfect love or my hatred, whatever it may be at that particular time. Let's, let's continue on and read a couple more verses here of the text as we look, go a little further into this. Little children, make sure that no one, no one deceives you. Paul, John was referencing the reality that deception was banging at the door of the church in the first generation. You know, I think a lot of times we think, you know, Lord, we're here in two, 2019, and wouldn't it have been nice if we could have lived in 1010? It was there. You say, wouldn't it have been great if we could live in this other country that just grows? It's there too. When God has taken us to those countries, we, we just witness, we feel it, that sin is just there. But God gives us the choice to rise above it. And this is what is so beautiful about the Lord. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices, here comes that word practice again, practices righteousness is righteous, just as he's righteous. We are following Jesus. We are not following a righteous man. We're not following a righteous system. We're following our righteous Lord and Savior. The one who practices sin is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. And God begins to open up through the, through the writing of John a little key. The Son of God came to give you the power to practice righteousness. He gave you the power through his work and his grace and freedom to practice this beautiful, perfect, so that that perfect becomes the practice of the Christian's life. No one, here, the, verse 8, the one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. And here, John begins to inject, here comes Jesus Oh, I love this in the Word of God because when you're reading the Bible, you're studying the Word of God, keep looking for Jesus and the answer because it's there. If we keep looking, we'll find him. Sometimes you have to turn over some stones. We used to take our children up in, uh, to Squim, Washington every year, and we lived in Washington. We got a little cabin up at Squim. But what we found out is underneath those stones were these jewels of crabs. But I would tell the children, the only way you'll find the crab is by turning over the stone. It's the same with the word of God. You take the stone, you turn it over, you find the gem that gives you the power. You'll find Jesus. You'll find his righteousness. You'll find his glory, his beauty, and it will pop out in so many ways. But notice we are, in, we are coming into this area of practicing righteousness. And um, someone can look at that and say, we don't do that. 
No, this is what the Word of God says. We, we're not just giving you a good idea. This is what the Word of God calls us out to do, is live righteous lives. And maybe we can like it like this. How many of you here, just for an illustration, played some level of professional sports or, or, or sports that were competitive in your life? Raise your hand. I'd just like to see how many of you were involved in sports on some level? How many baseball were involved in baseball? Got some baseball players. How about basketball? Got some basketball players. How about football? Got some football players. So what we're doing is we're speaking in a natural way to an audience that understands that if you don't practice, you're not going to make it out there. You might not want to go out there. You may not want to practice. You may not like the idea of the coach running you through the rigors of discipline behind and away from the crowd that is so necessary that practice makes perfect. You will, you will do that route. If you're in football, you'll do that route. You'll do it again. You'll do it again. If you're in baseball, you'll swing at that pitch. You'll swing at it. You're swinging. You'll throw the ball. You'll field the ball. Because if you do not do that, you're not going to win the game. It's a real simple mathematic. It's so simple. You can be the greatest athlete, but you'll be playing by yourself because you have to have somebody else on the team. And with that together, God begins to do this amazing things as we choose to practice the perfect. Some of you have had that experience that in practice you're out of sight. I lived in California practicing football in, in the Central Valley of California and it was so hot that I would rip up two t-shirts a day under those pads because of all that salt. And we had this great defense and I was a defensive player and something happened there. Because our coach was a very great defensive coach, but, he, but our problem in our team it was, was we didn't have a good offense. So what happened every week is the coach drove the defense, it seemed to us, more strongly and stronger to reduce our errors to almost nothing till finally the day came, the team said, about seven or eight of us guys said, that's it, we're all starters, we're not going to do that. We're not going to practice tomorrow. What we didn't realize is the coach had a car. And all he did during practice is drove from house to house to house to house till he found the cars of the guys that weren't at practice. And that choice to not practice caused us to lose the next game, caused a few of us to sit there and not play. It caused this guy here to do double wind sprints for a week. And that was the price of choosing to not practice. Not practicing comes with a price, guaranteed. Now, there's a, there's a part of it that uh, I, I, I've got to give this to you as your pastor. You cannot come here and just rely upon this to fill you. you. You need the word of God. Practice is so much more. It is that which is a part of our daily disciplines. It is choices that we make that God, I'm going to choose righteousness over unrighteousness. Lord, I'm going to choose to dedicate a period of time to pray. Another area that uh, so often is lacked so quickly in our life is all of a sudden this area of a devotional life. But this is where we're practicing. We're reading God's word, line upon line, precept upon precept. We are hearing from God at a place that he is speaking to us. 
and amazing things begin to, begin to happen. Begin to happen. Good practice, good habits bring good practice. Neglectful habits create bad practice. And there's just this simple truth about practicing that comes back so many ways in the Christian's life. You know, I think of the area of just purposing to walk by faith. That's practice. Here comes the bomb. Here comes the phone call. Here comes the news. Our choice is, will I walk by faith or by sight? That's practice. Will I honor God or will I allow fear to overcome my, dis my spiritual disciplines and start wondering what would happen if this happened or that happened? But Paul here is speaking, or, or John is writing about the importance of practicing righteousness. And notice in verse 7 when he says, the one who practices righteousness is righteous. And the one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose. Here it is, to destroy the works of the devil. If you're thinking, I'm going to get to a place that you've got to be so strong to practice, you've got the wrong idea, because the Word of God teaches that God is our strength and our comfort. God is the one who overthrows the work of the devil. God is the one who triumphs through us, but he asks us to practice in that hidden place even. You know, Jesus one time even said, when you do your alms, just go to your closet. Powerful lives come out of closets. Powerful churches come out of closets. Powerful homes come out of closets. They're not seen, almost hidden, but they come in, in so many ways, and that practice is so important. I remember my father used to have a little saying and my dad just, when we were young, we helped him plant an almond orchard and a walnut orchard. One of the ones he would say as a little guy is, good, better, best, just never let it rest till the good is the better and the better is the best. I just kept getting that. I hear that, good, better, best, never let it rest. And what he was saying is strive for excellence and don't accept anything short of it. And if you're working on a job and you want a promotion, the, the person who's hired you is looking for the person who's right there. Seeking excellence, seeking to go further. And I believe as you look at the Word of God, God is really saying in the Word of God, don't be satisfied with where you're at in the Spirit. Keep going. Wherever you're at today, do not allow that to bring apathy and complacency to you, but be continually pressing on toward that mark of the prize of the high calling of God as it is in Christ Jesus. Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4. As we practice the perfect, the perfect becomes the practice. Paul, writing to the church of Colossae, once again is challenging this church. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, he puts the if there. If you're a believer, a child of God, keep seeking the things above. Go up. Don't go down. Don't go around. Go up where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. And we're going to get to this a little further. You have died in Jesus Christ. This is what baptism even symbolizes when we immerse someone in the water. You have died. You're declaring to the world you have died. When Christ, who is our life, 
He is now your life. You die, but now you live through Christ is revealed. Then you also will be revealed with him in glory. And Paul is just simply saying, if you're one of those Christians, let it be your heart to set on things above. It's a choice, though. Don't have to. Don't have to do that. Uh, we can do whatever. But if we choose to say, Lord, I want to practice the perfect so that the perfect becomes the practice, God will begin to do great things in our lives. What we think we really become. This is a teaching of the word of God. We become like those around us in many ways. That's one of the reasons the Bible says, don't forsake the assembly of yourselves together in as much you see the day approaching. And unless we're practicing something false, truth will be revealed in, in, in its time. God will reveal truth. We don't have to do it. God will take care of that. He does it in the most amazing ways. Let's look a little further. The one who practices Verse 7, I'm going to jump down to verse 8, 9, and 10. The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. No one who is born of God practices sin. Another one we can stumble at. But let's grab the rest of this verse because it begins to explain this. Because his seed, God's seed, abides in him. And he or she cannot sin because he or he and she is born of God. Now something is happening that is a phenomenon in the Christian's life. There is a seed that goes into our heart by faith, and it's the seed of the Lord. We are cleansed, we are justified, we are sanctified, we are declared his children. But something else happens with that seed. We are changed. Our focus is different. Our thoughts are different. Oftentimes, it doesn't happen in just a couple of days. It may, I, I, I thank God, I'll see these t-shirts still today, and they'll just say, they'll say, he's still working on me. And I say, praise God for all of us that God doesn't give up on us. But you know what happens over the course of time, and if I could give this to anyone younger in the faith here, God begins to work stronger and more fluidly and you just don't want to do it anymore. You just don't want that to be a part of what you, what, what you do. You know, good habits have good results. When we were, we were young as boys, my brother and I, we had a barn outside our house. We lived on the edge of a peach field my grandfather owned. And in that barn, about 200 feet from our house, was a barn full of hay because he had a dairy and, and the hay all went to the dairy and fed the cattle. And, but that barn to my brother and I was like a castle. We could go to the barn, we could just hang out, we could build forts, we could push bales of hay over, and we could even help them load the hay if they'd come. But there's something else about that barn. It was a place that dad and mom, we had church in the morning and at night where we went to church, and dad and mom had a conviction. We were fairly poor. They couldn't do a lot, but one thing they could do is they could get us to church. And we were okay with that morning church, but that evening church, we would just as soon kind of hope they forgot. It was about half full usually, and we'd kind of wait. And what my brother Joe, he's a pastor and a school teacher down in California, and I would do in those days, 
is we'd go out to the barn and we'd build us a fort way back in that barn on Sunday afternoon. And we'd think maybe mom or dad will forget. And occasionally it did, occasionally no call. But it was so common that here came that call, boys, boys, time to get ready for church. And there we would go to church to hear God's word, even though a whole bunch of it kept shooting over the top of my little head. But there was a practice there that was bringing something out in the life that we would not see immediately. This is so important about practice. It doesn't matter whether it's natural or spiritual. Someone here may be frustrated because you have a quiet time with God, but you're not really sure what's happening there. Just keep coming back to God. Keep coming back to God in faith with your heart and the word, and God will start opening the word to you at special times. Sometimes it's dry for a while. It's okay. It's been dry for me too. There's been many times that uh, I've went through a week and I didn't know what I was going to preach on Sunday. God just did not open the door. It was that empty. And all of a sudden, it just popped. And the Holy Spirit began to work. And what happens as we practice the perfect, let's read the word of God, the perfect becomes a practice. And all of a sudden, out of this, so much, much happens. But let's look at this hard verse again. No one who is born of God practices sin. No one, no, notice how far reaching, for practices sin because his seed abides in him. He cannot sin. God's seed in him declares him righteous, and also God's seed in him, in them, will give us the power to choose to practice righteousness because he is born of God. When you, when you decide, d decide, Lord, I'm going to choose this instead of this, guess who was the one doing that? It was the seed within us, the power of the spirit that was convicting the heart that said, you know what, we could do this, but we're going to do this instead. Because this will, this will glorify God. And what happens is it becomes, a pra it becomes a practice. It becomes more and more a part of our lives in so many ways and so many places. You know, I read, about, I read about one of the runners that was sent to the Olympics several years ago. And he had came from a South African country, a very poor South African country. And he was the best they could send to the Olympics to run the marathon. And this young man got there and took off on the marathon. And halfway through the, the marathon that he was running and he fell. And he injured his leg very badly. And he just watched person after person after person go by him. And, the, and it looked like the race was over and everyone had completed the marathon. Except the injured guy back here. And finally someone looked and the crowd was dispersing. And they looked and they saw a figure coming, limping, hobbling. Just hobbling. And it was the guy with a messed up leg, a battered body, crossing the finish line. Someone asked him later, why did you do that in that situate in that condition why would you ever have chosen to do that 
And what he said, I pray, can stay with all of us as we think of practicing the perfect. He said, my team didn't send me here to start the race. My team sent me here to finish the race. And that's what God has done with each of you. You look at the places that God has encouraged you in your Christian lives, and I will guarantee it, almost every time someone has got up and started running again. Someone starts walking again. Someone may have fell, they may have stumbled, they may have blundered badly, but they choose to go back and practice the perfect, and the perfect becomes the practice. I guess that's one of the things that has blessed me right here at Calvary is, I haven't, I haven't told some of you this, but I've, I've, I've become aware of different conditions and situations in people's lives of people that fell really hard. They really did. And it was just this week, a brother comes walking to my office. He's only been to the church one time in four years, and last night he sat in his church again. He got back up. And that's what God says for each of us, too. It isn't because we're perfect. We practice the perfect. And the perfect becomes the practice. God begins to do amazing things when we just simply say, God, I want, to fi I want to finish the race. You know, Paul, remember the apostle? He said, I want to finish my course with joy. I fought a good fight. I've kept the faith. There's laid up for me a crown of righteousness. Even says, Nothing, none of these things move me because I want to be running at the finish line. Running may look different for all of us at the finish line, but I am so encouraged by godly saints that are still living for Jesus at the finish line. At the very last moments of their life, they are still there giving God the praise and honor and glory that is so necessary. Galatians 6, verses 9 through 7, 7 through 9. Don't, do not be deceived. Paul writing to the Galatians, wrapping up this, that tremendous epistle. God is not mocked for whatever a man sows, this will he also reap. The one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh Reap corruption. We've been reading about that. But the one who sows to his spirit, to his sp the spirit, will from the spirit reap eternal life. And then I love that last part of this because sometimes in practicing the perfect, you just get tired. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we don't grow weary. Paul is just reaching out and saying, don't let life stress, diversion, take you away from that commitment that God, I want to give you everything, even in the last moments of my life. Or none of us know when that is. None of us know. If we could see in this sanctuary today when that would be, it would shock us. Because God's time isn't our time. But we all have a time. But we have today, too, that God has given us to give this moment to him. We have this moment to give to God and to live for him. The 10th verse, I'll read the 9th again. No one who is born of God practices sin because his seed, the spirit of God is in us. And we cannot sin. We won't keep practicing sin the same. But when we do, we have an advocate. When we do, we can come to him and find forgiveness. 
When we, t we, we do, we have a seed within us that will give us the power to get up and finish the race. Get up, finish the race, run for Jesus. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. And here he's just speaking of when righteousness is practiced, it is just a clear manifestation of God. Many times nothing needs to be said. Also, when unrighteousness is practiced, it's, it's very visible what that is. And notice this verse with me as we look at it. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. The message has already went out. But as we as children of God practice the perfect, the perfect just becomes the practice, and so much happens. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. I have one more verse for you here in Philippians 4.8. It's a really common verse, but it's so, uh, so powerful. Remember, we spoke about how practicing the perfect really begins in the mind. And a lot of this verse uh, is a verse that speaks of the purpose of heart within the mind. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, is it true? Whatever is honorable, is it honorable? Whatever is right, is it right? Whatever is pure, is it pure? Whatever is lovely, is it lovely? Whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Lock on them. Follow it. That is the perfect. There it is in one verse. Follow the perfect Savior with the perfect example, with the perfect message, with the perfect sacrifice, with the perfect power to sustain us in every way. And what happens is that the perfect becomes the practice. One of the things that comes to me as we come to the end of the message, though, is, a, is just a real simple question, and that is, are you born of God? Because the Word of God does, says it really clear here, he that is born of God, his seed, God's seed remains in them, and that gives us the power to practice the perfect. If we're not born of God, we can't do it. We're not strong enough. We don't have great enough connections. You'll never be able to hear a message strong enough to give you the power to practice the perfect. Only God's seed and us gives us that power. And if, where there is someone here in this church that is not born of God, that seed isn't there. If you are wondering this morning, I don't know because the pattern of my life just goes back. I'm not speaking about those sins when we stumble because this is a part of walking and pursuing the perfect. Oftentimes, just like that runner, we fall, we get up. God, I'm still here. You are Lord. Forgive me. And we, we go back and run the race. And we run towards the finish line. But if we're born of God, if, if we practice sin, if that's just a part of us, I guess I need to share this too for men. It's came pretty close to my home. If there's any addictions that just don't let go, it's time to come to God and say, God, I need to be born again. 
if there is any habit that is so controlling that it possesses us inside and out, it dominates our thought processes, our actions, today is the day to say, God, there's one way to break that. It's to be born of God, to have the Holy Spirit come in and cleanse us from the inside out. And he puts a seed there. That doesn't mean that there's no flesh temptations, no trials from that day on. But that seed is there, and because we're born of God, we don't want to go there anymore, just like Romans 6 said. We don't want to go there. When we stumble, we come back to the, we come back to the one place, God, I am born of you. I am going to practice by your grace righteousness so that righteousness will become a part of my life in every way, shape, or form. There's a, little, there's a little plant out here that you'll start seeing pop up in about another month in the Arizona desert. And it's not a desert plant. It's not native. It's invasive. But it's one of the most prolific plants that sweeps through western U.S. It may be the largest, most invasive plant in all of western U.S. And it starts almost unseen. It will climb up as high as this roof. And one plant, could, two plants can fill this building in the right environment. It's called a kochia plant. It needs very little water. It's destructive in many ways. It will even affect livestock and animals in many ways they eat it. That's why it is considered a noxious weed in many places, also an invasive species. But it crept in. What's amazing about the kosher plant is out of one kosher plant, it can spread between 20, and, between 20 to 30,000 seeds by one plant. And you got potential growth It'll lie dormant in the ground for seven to ten years, potential growth for plants to spring up out of one kosher plant all over the place. That's what sin does. It multiplies and multiplies so quickly, and it spreads so far, and it goes down so, and it, its sweep is so broad. But you know, let's, let's go to one thing, because we're going to remember the Lord Jesus today in a short time after prayer, and that is, the Word of God speaks of one person who grew up like a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground in Isaiah 53. There was no form nor comeliness. And when we would see him, there would be, there would be no beauty that we desire him. His name is Jesus. And when he gave his life, there wasn't just 20,000 seeds. The seeds that went to go into the heart of the souls of men are into the millions and billions and billions that came from one death. Claim that seed again today. Maybe there's just been the struggle of practice. God, by your grace, I'm going to claim your seed. I'm your child. I have been redeemed. Your blood has saved me. And if you can't do that today, come forward after our communion, there will be those to pray with you up here. Don't walk out the doors without claiming the most precious possession, which is the Spirit of God within you that will give you the power to practice righteousness so that righteousness becomes the practice of your life from this day on. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you, Lord that you have put us in the middle and surrounded by all kinds of darkness and questions and, and struggles, but you have given us the light of the world. You have put your seed within us, your spirit through which we claim, and because of this, 
we claim as, our, as your child, your son, your daughter, that we are part of your, your family. And because we're part of your family, as your children, we have new desires, a new heart, and God, even though we have failed. Even though there is no one here, we, we confess with John that we are not sinless. We confess that we have stumbled along the road of practice. We confess there are times that practice has not been as clearly evident as it should be in our life. We've come back to you, Lord Jesus, and said, take us and the seed that lives within us and may it flow through us to righteousness. And through righteousness, O oh Father, may your name be lifted up higher and higher and higher because you are holy and you are worthy. In Christ's name we pray, amen.